Hey guys, thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast this week. I'm Tyler. And I'm Jessica. And this is Coenology, where we take some time to talk about everyday life. This week, we're going to dedicate this podcast to Easter. We have with us some very special friends of ours who we've grown to love and adore, Pastors Gavi and First Lady Sierra Beasley. They are the pastors at Covenant Church in Jessup, Georgia. We're going to take some time and walk through Holy Week day by day and share our thoughts with you as a listener in hopes that you're able to reflect on this week as Easter and what it means to you. So before we dive into scripture and talking about Easter, I want to first say that it is an honor to have you two on our podcast this week. And I'm really excited to be able to record this with you guys. So before we begin, we want you to take a moment and just say a few words to introduce yourselves and your journey together in ministry. <laughs> and this is already how we <laughs> So I'm Gavi. And I'm Sierra. And we've been in ministry for about seven or eight years together. Well, pretty much since we've been married in 2016, uh, we started ministry. I started out as a uh, as an evangelist, and she was by my side and the whole time. The whole time, yeah. And so uh, here recently, in the past you know, year and four months, God called us to to pastor a church. We started with 11 people. We had nine of them was family. Four of them built bad for us. <laughs> in a barbershop. In a barbershop. But God's blessed us tremendously, and we, uh, we've we grown to almost 100 people um, in a year and four months. In a new building. In a new building. It's such a testimony. That's really awesome. I love to hear what God is doing in your ministry and in your lives at your church. I want you to take a moment and, and just talk about what Easter means for you guys and being pastors. You know, we always hear about Easter being the biggest day of the year at the church, but Easter is more than just the numbers at the church. It's more than just attendance. Easter is a lifestyle. And whenever you actually grasp the fact that Easter is more than just celebrating one day out of the entire year, what does that look like whenever you incorporate that into your ministry? Like, how do you make Easter be every single Sunday at your church? Well, I think it goes back to what I've been preaching the entire year, and that's identity knowing who you are in Jesus Christ, knowing what he has accomplished for you through the cross and through coming out of the tomb. It's like when the Lord spoke to me this morning and while I was preaching, we have a lot of believers that want to go sleep in an in a open door tomb. They want to go and take a nap there. They want to revisit who they used to be and what they used to be and where they used to lay and who they used to lay with and everything else. But uh, Easter every day to me is, is if he got out, the, if he walked out of the tomb, victorious and we can do the same thing every single day when we get up out of the bed when we when our feet hit the floor we get up and if we have to verbally say it we have to keep it on the forefront of our mind hey i am victorious i'm more than a conqueror i I, I, because he overcame i overcome all because of faith that's right yeah yeah, that was good. And it's, all, it's all with identity. It's all linked to who you are. Because if you uh, realize who you are, what you're supposed to be doing is linked to who you are supposed to be. And that's why we, I believe we have a, lot, have a lot of believers that get frustrated. They get aggravated because they don't know who they are. Therefore, they're not doing what they're called to do. Mm-hmm. And But once you know who you're called to do, you can live Easter every day. You can live a resurrected life, yeah. a life of his life now that, hey, I'm victorious. And it's bringing life back to those things that he called you to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just that remembrance of, no, he still called me to do that. And it's bringing life back to those promises. Yeah, I love that. I love to be able to to hear your perspective on that. Um, one thing that I have found in, in you guys' ministry is... It really and truly, from what I, I've you know been able to experience from you, it's not been about just numbers, and it's not been about just politics of church, but it's been about living that life every single day of who you're called to be. And that's one thing Jessica and I have really started to grasp in our own life is that we as believers have a call on our life, and that takes hold every single day. You can't, like you said, go lay in the tomb on Monday and Tuesday and decide on Wednesday mm-hmm. that you're called and come out of the tomb and then For Thursday sure. go back yeah. in the tomb. And so I, I love that you shared that. And I, I love that you shared that this morning. When you said that this morning during service, it really resonated with me that we really do 
get to this place where we go back and forth, back and forth. And we're not called to be that. We're called to be victorious from beginning to end. So as we work through this uh, week, and we're going to try our best to get through all seven days <laughs> of, of the Holy Week here, kind of taking it step by step, just discussing with you as the listener and with amongst ourselves of what it means for Scripture for us to just take apart this Holy Week. This Holy Week means more than just the traditional seven days that happened one time throughout history about a man named Jesus who got placed in a tomb. It's more than just that. It, it speaks to us every single year. Being saved, as long as I've been saved, I've heard, I can't tell you how many Easter sermons. Countless. But they're all Easter sermons right. from beginning to end. And so when we do this this week, as we take each day in each scripture, um, I encourage you as the listener to listen along with us and to grab your Bible and to turn there with us and read it with us and hopes that the Holy Spirit will be able to minister to you and something stand out to you on the page that you maybe haven't seen before. Or we may say something here that will minister to you that you've never heard before. And that's our hope is that something that we do and say today can touch your life and change your perspective on what Easter maybe has always been for you, but going forward will always be for you from now on. So if we're starting with day one, it would be Palm Sunday. And for those of you that are listening, that's Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. And I'm going to have Pastor Gavi just share a little bit about what Palm Sunday means to you or what Palm Sunday from Scripture, what stands out to you as a pastor and as a minister and as a believer that is so powerful about that one particular day, that start of Holy Week. All right. So, well, I'm going to start. I'm going to read a few uh, all the way about verse three right here. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. But something that stuck out to me, I noticed this immediately when I opened up to Matthew 21, they're calling in their in, in verse cha, uh, chapter twenty one and chapter twenty. They're referring to Jesus as the Son of David, and this goes to show right here. And if you know Jewish history and all that, they were ex we talked about it earlier. They were expecting uh, for Jesus to come in and and bring an end to the Romans. They were expecting something. They was so they automatically been, began calling him son of David because they, they know David as the greatest king of Israel. And so, but that goes to show right there that although you see something as one thing, it may not be always what you get. Mm -hmm. That, that comes to me when I seen the son of David, but I like what he says in verse three. And when it comes to Palm Sunday, he, Jesus told him, he said, go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them. You're going up in some man's house and taking their donkey tied up on the post. He told I left you here for a reason. But I like what Jesus told him. He said, if anyone, if anyone says anything to you, you shall, you shall say the Lord has need of them. That right there means a lot to me. Because he is, he is right there saying, because it's in red my Bible, he is saying, I am the Lord of lords. I am the landlord. So that means the donkey belongs to me, the post belongs to me, the mammy and the coat belongs to me. And if, if anybody says anything, you say the Lord needs it. And he said they'll immediately, he will send them. Without question. I love that you, you go there with that particular scripture because one thing that stands out to me is the Lord says, go into the village opposite of you. He's sending them somewhere to do a mission, and he's giving them the authority to go with the mission. And we're going to get to that at the end of this week with Matthew chapter 28. We were told to go, and we have the authority to go and do it with. So if anyone says anything to us, obedience is better than sacrifice. And if we're doing the will of God out of obedience, it should not matter what other people say. But you notice right here what he says. He says, go into the village opposite you. Mm -hmm. 
I wonder what he means when he said go to the village opposite of you, the people that's not like you, you know, or the uncomfortable uh, area. The, the uncomfortable area that could be a good thing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, it may feel weird. It may feel like like it shouldn't be like it's it's really out of the way. But he said, if anybody says anything, if anybody tries to question you when you go do something against the comfortable, against the normal, get out of your comfort zone, just say the Lord. Just say the Lord needs it. So, what do you think about this particular scripture? Um, in verse six, it says, so the disciples went and did as Jerusalem commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. Jesus didn't tell them, go get the colt and lay your clothes on the colt. Mm-hmm. He just said, go get the colt. But they honored him so much so that they went above and beyond. So as the believer what are you doing out of obedience that is above and beyond what he asked you to do? So yeah, he might have called us into a particular area or called us to go and do, but are you doing it with excellence? That's right. Are you ministering in excellence? Are you walking in excellence? And you cannot do that if you don't know who you are. That all goes back to identity. You cannot walk in excellence. You cannot be a disciple if you don't know that you are a disciple. They knew Jesus called them to go get this cult. And they went above and beyond. They laid down their clothes on the colt, sort of like an honor to him to to sit on top of comfort, if you will, because a donkey is not comfortable. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to just go that extra mile and go that extra step and lay down their clothes almost as a sign of humility or praise or honor to him to say, here, we did what you asked and we did above and beyond. You didn't ask us to do this but we wanted to. And I believe a lot of times whenever we consider our walk with God and what he's asked us to do, do we go above and beyond because we want to or because we have to? So if we go down a little bit further in verse nine, it says, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, All the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Whenever we talk about that scripture there of them calling out Hosanna, Hosanna, we know what happens later. They go from calling out Hosanna to calling out crucify him. I think that maybe goes back to what you mentioned earlier with Some days you want to be out of the tomb and some days you want to lay in the tomb. Some days you want to call out Hosanna, Hosanna. And some days you may not call out Hosanna. You may be the one calling out crucify him. As as a minister of the gospel and as a pastor of a church, do you see that to be sort of a a common theme within the church? Some days you have members and, and believers that are up and some days you have them that are down. Some days they're left, some days they're right. Do you see this sense of lack of identity within believers? Yeah, they 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 seem to be on a from week to week. They sometimes they seem like they're on an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one week I'm blessed and highly favored. Next week I'm barely making it through. Right, blessed and uh, disgusted. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, but that's that's just that's what you get with people because they look at flesh. And I'll add to what we said right there. If you look up Hosanna, the the meaning of Hosanna. It means an appeal to God for deliverance mm-hmm. is what Hosanna means. And if you notice these people here, when we talked at the beginning of the podcast, you realize that they were thinking that Jesus was coming in like King David, a military leader that was going to deliver them from the Romans. Well, see, that's the problem right there is they had their focus on the flesh. But Jesus come to them and said, or he had in mind the whole time, that I'm delivering you something from greater than flesh. This this ain't about kicking the Romans' tail and running them off and getting them off your back. This is a, something to get you back to my father, mm-hmm. get to, to get you on the, the right path to, to what I'm here for, you know, back, back to the Lord. Right. So with that being said, you can see how Palm Sunday is more than just what we look at it as the beginning of Holy Week. It can speak to you all year. As the listener, if you're if you're looking at this particular scripture and thinking that it's only limited to give the introduction to Easter, 
It's not. It can speak to you for the entire the the entire entity of the year. Easter is every single day. You you can actually wake up every single day and call out Hosanna, Hosanna, and actually mean it, and not have to get to this place in your life where you're up or you're down or you're left or you're right. You can be consistent in your walk with Him. That's what He wants. He wants consistency from us. So if we look at Palm Sunday and we look at the events that happened on Palm Sunday, it brings us to Monday. And Monday, as most people around the world associate Monday with being the worst day of the week, (laughs) the Monday blues. Well, we can see here that these people might not have had the best day on Monday (laughs) when we look at Jesus coming into cleanse the temple. When we when you look at the scripture in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 19, this is significant that it's included in Holy Week. He could have done this any other time during his tenure here on earth, but he chose during these last seven days to include this as one of his final events here on earth, being a part of this quote unquote Holy Week. And I believe it's significant because it's close to the beginning of the week, and it has a lot of power in it when you read the scripture and you see exactly what he did when he goes into the temple. So if you want to take a moment and just kind of elaborate on that and what that particular section of scripture means for for you. Jesus went into the temple uh, of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said in verse 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You think about that right there. What is the least most attended service in all of churches today? Prayer meeting. The prayer meeting. It is is the one where you got two or three, but if you got a, a a chicken dinner, you got something going on like that. You 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 got to go buy extra pizza to feed them. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a den of thieves. I mean, <laughs> so but, I just real quick when you said that it bring it brought back to my remembrance. I read a book, and in this book about prayer specifically, it said you can tell how popular the pastor is by who attends on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and you can tell how popular the evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. But mm-hmm. you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to prayer meet. Mm-hmm. That's exactly That's right. And and right here, you he said it, and I think it's really cool how Jesus said this. He said, "It is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer." Well, you you think about what he's cleansing right there. He's cleansing the temple, mm-hmm. and the Bible refers to us as a temple. Mm-hmm. So you think about it. How can we be cleansed we, by prayer? Is prayer acts as a cleansing for us? But I like what it says right here. It says, who sold doves. Now, why? they could have sold pigeons. They could have sold anything else. But they sold doves. Well, what's a dove represent? Peace. It represents peace. But it also, in Matthew chapter 3, it said that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. They were selling the things that was meant to be holy, the main, the things that was meant to be set apart and represent the Holy Spirit. They were selling that. And I think that we have a big problem today in, in, in mainstream church trying to sell a move rather than be a move. Uh-oh. Uh, that's a whole they're they're trying to sell a move they're trying to push a move but here's what I understand that you don't have to sell the Holy Spirit I don't have to make you think the Holy Spirit's real the Holy Spirit is attracted to hunger and to thirst Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus said if any of those that hunger and thirst they shall be filled knock you shall it shall be open to you seek you shall find etc you know how it goes He's looking for hunger, and he's attracted to hunger. And they were selling the very thing that was symbolic or or that that represented the most precious gift given to humanity. And I'm afraid afraid that many churches do that today. Um, And and that's what made Jesus upset. He said, if you want, he said, quit trying to sell your stuff 
Quit trying to sell all this stuff and just get on your knees and pray and, and you'll see a difference in your life. Do you, in your own life, I just want you to kind of elaborate and, and you too, uh, Sister Sierra, just how prayer has worked in your own lives of being uh, just the constant change in your life stemming from prayer. Can you talk about well, maybe... confirmation of what he's saying in scripture that when you are of prayer versus trying to buy him or, you know what I mean? Like just yeah, being can, a, a prayer life. Yeah. I just kind of talk about maybe a time in your life where prayer wasn't a priority and mm-hmm. how it became a priority. And then things started to change. It brings the scripture to life. Yeah. Um, so I'm not ashamed to say I was born and raised Baptist, not fervently going, but you know, um, yeah, so, you know <laughs> no, it's just, it was just one of those things that I was taught that you can live like a hellion Monday through Saturday, but as long as you come to church Sunday and pray, you're okay. And that's how prayer was viewed is as long as you pray to ask forgiveness, that's all you need to pray for. That's mm-hmm. all prayer was, was ask the Lord to forgive you for whatever you did. There was no relationship. There was no just having that daily talk with God. And so that's how I was raised. So now being an adult and looking at it and really having that revelation, it's, no, it's not just that. Mm-hmm. It's a full-blown conversation with your father. And it just takes a whole new level when it becomes that. Yeah. I'll say that I, I'll kind of correlate with her there on that. When uh, I used to pray, like, I guess you say, like the religious people. Um, you know, the Bible talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. It talks about the the hypocrites and the and, and the the, the people that like standing and praying loud and, and, and like all those things. And I used to treat prayer as a more of a ritual. I say a ritual, but a, a, a got to do, you got to get your five minutes in or you got to get your, try, try to do better, try to get 15 this week and everything. When what, like she said, it's just a conversation with God. So now I just, just on the way here. I mean, she says he does that all the time. That's my conversation with the Lord because mm-hmm. I mean, things come out, and and you don't realize. I mean, sermon titles and and and, and whole series come out of just just conversating with him. And uh, as far as now, I have a prayer shed at my home that I I go to, and you know, occasionally, and and I go out there, and I just get quiet time. And, but as far as making prayer a a religious duty that that you've got to go at five a.m. and you've got to you you've got to stay for four hours and all and, and that's good. I mean if you do that fine. But he's looking for relationship and he's not he's not looking for a performance and that's where I was bound yeah. in trying to give him a performance mm-hmm. and on a treadmill, religious treadmill and not going anywhere. And I tell you, in doing it religiously like that, rather than doing it relationally, I would leave prayer more mad than I did hell. Mm -hmm. I'd come out of prayer and I'd be more mad. I'd be aggravated, but it was because I was not having relationship. I was just having religion. Yeah, that's so good. And that's what we talk about a lot is that shift from religion to relationship. Mm -hmm. There's so much much power there. I do want to hone in on this uh, while we're here on this Monday of Holy Week. Um, It mentions the fig tree. And you mentioned this in your sermon this morning, and I really want you to share with the listeners about that dynamic that you shared with the fig tree and how it was used in Genesis as a mask, as a cover-up, and how in the New Testament we see here in Matthew that it was cursed out of all the trees, this one. So I want you to share that because that was so powerful. I think we have a lot of listeners that may be still using fig leaves. Mm. You know, I, I learned this with religion that in the fig leaf, we we oftentimes, we try to compare fig leaf suits to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, my fig leaf suit's got a few more leaves than you. I'm a little more covered than you are. And we've talked about that in past when, the other day when we, I think it was in Matthew 5, where we talked about how the, the when he had the man of leprosy asked Jesus, if you, if you're willing, make me clean. But Jesus cleansed him. And that goes back to the fig leaf. Fig leaf, and uh, that's what Adam and Eve put on themselves whenever they was in the garden to hide that shame. And then here in the book of Matthew, where Jesus cursed a fig tree 
And Jesus said, you know, that, like this this morning when the Holy Spirit gave it to me, he said, Jesus, Jesus came and he cursed the cover up. He mm-hmm. said, you don't have to cover up anymore. See, you used to have to cover it up with animal blood and, and, the, and the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons. But I'm coming and my blood is going to is going to is going to destroy and curse every cover up. You're not going to have to worry about trying to cover it up anymore. I'm cleansing you completely of all sins, of all unrighteousness, uh, of everything. I'm, I'm cleansing you and I'm taking it away. I'm cursing the literal thing that you tried to use and cover up that sin and shame with. If we go back to that scripture in Genesis, what I love about that so much, and oftentimes it's overlooked, is they were already covered by their choice to use mm-hmm. the fig leaf. But then it says that God made clothes for them. Mm-hmm. Take off your covering that you chose to cover up with and let me cover you. That's exactly what happened here in scripture. If you go back to Genesis, in order for God to cover them with the animal skins, a sacrifice had to be made in the garden. Well, this is him in the New Testament covering us. And he makes sure to bring that fig leaf up again. Mm -hmm. That whatever it is that you're using to cover up, I curse that and I cover you myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's so good that we need to take into consideration that as we move into this walk with Christ, you don't have to walk with this shame and guilt and you trying to hide behind a mask. He has covered you if you will just embrace Mm -hmm. that. And part of embracing that is letting him come into your temple and clean it out. And I'll, I'll add that one one thing to you was talking about in Genesis, where that, that is the first record of bloodshed in the Bible, where he took the, the animal skins and, and made them tunics. Well, those worked for a while, but it, it, it was a repeating process that the priest would have to sacrifice those animals. But when you think about Jesus... He was the spotless, blemishless lamb of God. And in turn, God clothed us with the spotless lamb of God. And what does he say? He said, I'll clothe you with a robe of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So when we got our lambs, in in essence, when we got our lamb skin on, we're not not worrying about the leaves no more. We're covering ourselves Mm -hmm. in the righteousness of God. He that knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become or put on the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I love that. So as we move into Tuesday, it appears as though Jesus has taken his last seven days and he's cleaning house and he's going through and speaking truths. And every day is strategic to adding to this quote unquote holy week. So for Tuesday, we look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 46. There's a couple of things here I'd like for you guys to be able to elaborate on. Number one, it says Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. I want you to tell us, we may not have quote unquote modern day Pharisees that we call them Pharisees today, but what it, what would it mean to look like a Pharisee today in Scripture? And then if we scroll down and look into what it means in Scripture to be a Pharisee, and we see that Jesus is speaking directly to them, he says in verse 42 there, and I want you to elaborate on it, but have you never read the Scriptures? He actually says that in Scripture here. He asks them, have you never read the Scriptures? What does this particular section mean for you? And and be able to tell the listeners um, how they can be able to apply it to their own life, that they don't catch themselves becoming a Pharisee. I, I'll, I'll agree with you there, but I think we do got Pharisees today. All you got to do is watch TikTok or Instagram. <laughs> and I say that for this reason here, is Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all those uh, chief priests that you read about, they were experts at the law. They were experts at pointing every everybody else's wrong out. But they would they, they were they was the they was to do as I say, not as I do try. Mm-hmm. And 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 that that that's one of the things that 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 upset Jesus. And it's it's amazing that you point out verse forty two right here, where he said, "Have you never read in the scriptures?" He's talking to the scholars of that time. He's talking to the ones that knows uh, the uh, the law of Moses, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's talking to they. They've studied this. They've lived this. They breathed this. They spent all their time in the synagogue and the temples and and under 
the, the, the preaching. They know, they know the law better than anybody. But it's, it's just like, look, can, can we get on this a minute? If you have to edit it, you can. But can we get on like people that's always pointing out gay folks? Mm-hmm. They always they always saying you're going to hell for gay you're going to hell for gay, but they don't talk about the stuff they're watching on TV. Mm-hmm. Or the stuff, I mean, they 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 just they want to point out a particular. That's what I believe the Pharisees were is they want to particular they want to point out particular sins, mm-hmm. but they don't want to point out what they do. It's yeah. just like the the the, the when, when Jesus. Uh, when they brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, the ones that had the stones in their hands, they was that was described in the Pharisees because they was talking about you done slept with this man. That they was caught in the act. That means they was caught, as my brother would say, in the in in the, in the boogie woogie. <laughs> they, they, they was caught in the act. You just said boogie woogie, <laughs> and. and, and and they had stones ready to kill her. Uh-huh. And this, the, the debate has been, and, I, and I'm not trying to go off too far, but I bring it back to, to, these, to the Pharisees. I, the debate has been for a, a long time, what did Jesus write in the dirt? Mm-hmm. But here's what I believe. There's several things, but one thing that I believe that Jesus wrote in the dirt was I believe that he started writing the names of the men that was holding the stones. Well, so-and-so, I I believe he started exposing them. Mm -hmm. He started writing their names in the sand. And I believe one by one, they started dropping their stone. Mm -hmm. Because, see, they was, they didn't want, the ones that were stoned probably slept with her the night before. Oh, they said, oh, that's me. That's my name. That's Cornelius, I got to go. I'm Jim, I got to go. I, I was, I was, but it goes back to the, and it's to do it's to do as I say, not as I do try. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's so powerful that he makes that in his holy week a point to speak to those individuals. Mm-hmm. See, we have people listening, and and I'm going to just kind of elaborate on our listeners here for a minute. We have people that listen to us that really don't have a clue about ministry that just like to follow up Jessica and I and, and become a part of what we're doing. We probably have people that are listening that have never even heard of us, but maybe are catching on and enjoying the podcast. And that's what we hope. But I know that we have people that are listening that are also in ministry and we have to be careful for being in ministry to not get caught up in becoming a Pharisee. And we have to make sure that if Jesus were speaking to us as ministers today, he would not look at us and say, have you read the scripture? He wouldn't rebuke us. So as we work through this Holy Week concept here, this is powerful because he's basically explaining here, I'm not happy with what you're doing. Mm And you're supposed to be the expert at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where we really, really miss the mark with a lot of people and getting them into this walk in this relationship with God. The first thing that you hear people call out about when it comes to churches, I don't want to go to church with hypocrites. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, I'm hurt from the church. I don't want to be in ministry. I've been a part of that. And, and honestly, it's because of situations like this where Jesus is calling out hypocritical Pharisees. Mm-hmm. We need to get in our, in our mindset the heart that Jesus came with. And on that Tuesday of Holy Week, he made a point to stop by the church. Monday, he cleaned it out. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, he spoke to the leaders. Mm-hmm. Monday, he handled the members. Tuesday, he spoke to the leaders. He's working his way through this process here to make sure that he leaves it exactly like it needs to be. And we can't miss that mark there. We have to pay attention to that as leaders of the gospel, as ministers of the gospel, as, as we study and teach and preach and work through as we do this podcast. We, we should not be able to sit here as Pharisees that he would rebuke. Mm-hmm. I look at that too. Um, We've been talking about discipleship. You can kind of reword that and think of it as, um, did you not watch me as I taught you how to lead the people? Or you not present in class physically? Mm -hmm. Like, did did you pay attention? Because this is not what it's supposed to be. This is not what I've taught you to be. And I think that's so powerful because as we look at this, that's what we should want to be. As we work our way to Matthew 28, which is where we're getting to, 
we can take these moments that we learn from these these days, this Monday, this Tuesday, this Wednesday, and we can apply it to our lives so that we're ready for Matthew 28, because that's where we're headed here is Matthew 28. You can't do Matthew 28 if you don't handle the Sunday and the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday and the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday again. If you don't have a full understanding of that Easter story, it's going to be hard to do that Great Commission. So moving on to Wednesday and Thursday of Holy Week, I'm going to group those two together because it's Wednesday that Judas, someone that is very controversial in the Bible and in in Scripture, and whenever you consider Judas in Scripture on Wednesday deciding, making the decision, making the, the mindset to play his role in this particular story, in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him, seeking an opportunity to put yourself in higher places. What are you willing to sell your salvation for? What are you willing to give up what has been given to you? That's powerful because I believe that today we have a lot of people that may be selling 30 pieces of silver and not even realizing what they're doing, selling themselves short as compared to what Christ has given them. You can't put a dollar amount on salvation. You you can't put a numerical value on what he has given us. And yet we find ourselves sometimes having a little bit of Judas in us. While we don't want to be considered a Judas, while we, nobody ever wants to be the Judas of the 12, we all fight a little bit of Judas within us. And I believe that it's significant that he makes Holy Week. We talk about him in particular because he's a turning point for this entire story. And in our own lives, we have to have a turning point Mm -hmm. where we say, no more will I sell my salvation for 30 pieces of silver. Mm -hmm. Come hell or high water, I will worship him. Come hell or high water, I will lift my hands through the valley. I will take step by step towards the mark of the high call. I will not any longer trade anything that has been given to me from the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And so as we look at that happening, that decision on Wednesday, he steps towards a decision that it was necessary for this to play out. But it's a decision that many times in our own lives we've made. But then we look at Thursday, and Thursday is the Last Supper and Judas betraying Jesus and Peter denying Jesus. There's a lot of stuff that happens on Thursday. And so I want you to just kind of, as we wrap up this Wednesday, Thursday, going into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just kind of elaborate a little bit on, you know, the Last Supper and Judas making that decision and and what happened with Peter and all of those grand Easter sermons that we've heard over and over and over again, just kind of sum them up in in what you would call your particular view on it for our listeners of of how it plays into the Easter story and why it's important that they're mentioned here in Scripture. So in in talking about Judas, I noticed something in in verse 21. It says, Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And in verse 22, it's something caught my attention. It says, And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each one of them began to say lord is it i you know i believe we as believers sometimes we we are that judas we become that judas and we do it without even blinking an eye jesus all jesus said he said one of you there's 12 of you here one of you is going to betray me one of you is going to turn your back on me one of, one of you is going to is, is going to help me fulfill what I'm sent here to do. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. That, 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 that almost could go along with, they, they wept bitterly or they was exceedingly sad. Uh, concerned, sad, yeah. or upset. As, and, and they said, they, they began to ask each other, said, Lord, is it I? He answered, he said, he who dipped his hand 
with me in the dish will betray me. And it said, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. That's pretty harsh words. Those, some, those are some harsh words right there. And uh, Sierra had some stuff she wanted to add in verse, verse 25 right here. 25 stuck out to me because it says, Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Now, hold on. What was them disciples doing? Did they not catch that? Well, Did he, they not catch it? He just admitted, hello, yeah. it's you. Well, they was fishermen. Nah. I ain't saying nothing bad about fishermen. <laughs> but, I, but I am saying, the, he didn't put the brightest crayons in the box. But right there, I mean, it's like, what, what are you doing? But immediately, like we've talked about, Judas was the only one that spoke up. Well, is it me? Mm. He knew it was him, but is it me? And so many times we do that, it's like, well, we know we're doing wrong, but when the Lord starts to chat in your butt about things, like, am I really doing that? And weren't, and, and, and I did notice something that was funny right here. And just like some religious trained folks on <laughs> verse 26, it said, and as they were eating, eating. <laughs> you've been talking about betraying the Son of God, and they're going to be like, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? And just uh, oh, we we'll just keep on eating. And I love Jesus. He takes that moment, and he, he goes with it. And he takes that eating, yeah, he, and he, he makes it spiritual. <laughs> and that's where we get to the Last Supper, and that's where we get to this moment of Judas being present at the Last Supper and Jesus knowing mm -hmm. that it was him. Judas took a moment. He said, is it me? Well, you said it. That's what Jesus responds. Yeah. Rhetorical question. But then Jesus does something that we don't do and we miss it. This goes back to the Pharisees. Did you read the scripture? How many people do you know have betrayed you and you won't feed them? And you won't wash their feet. Mm. You yeah. won't even talk to them. Oh, yeah. Have you read the scripture? You'll catch another aisle at Walmart. He shows us here exactly how we should treat Judas, mm -hmm. regardless oh, wow. of understanding what it is that he was going to do. He was about to take on the sins of the world on the cross. And Judas was the turning point for that to happen. And he shows us how to treat them anyways. Wow. But you got Judas saying, surely you don't mean me. Jesus answers. But what about the ones that are sitting there still eating mm. in our own, like, you mm -hmm. know, in a conversation in church? And how many of those people are backsiders or, you know, whenever you're, you're preaching the word, and there's people just sitting there. Oh, that ain't me. Nope. Let me get my mint. Let me just eat another bite. <laughs> Let me just get my but mint. He shows them as an example of how they should treat Judas in the room. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of Judases sitting among us, and we don't treat them as though Jesus would treat them. And he would rebuke us for that. He would say, have you read the scripture? Mm -hmm. Have you saw what I did, even though I knew? I just had this conversation with Judas out loud. And I turn around and I wash his feet. Mm -hmm. One of the most humiliating jobs there was during this time was to wash feet. That was a job for a servant, mm -hmm. to wash feet in a home, to wash the dirt and the grime away from your journey, to make you clean from your journey that the, the dirt you've collected on your feet the wear and tear you would bring you would come into the home and your feet would be washed by a servant and here you have the ministry of the towel if the cross compels you to worship then the towel should compel you to serve mm -hmm. and whenever you look at the ministry of the towel you have jesus serving someone who just sold him for 30 pieces of silver wow mm -hmm. And we have people we won't even, we'll unfollow and block you on Facebook if you turn <laughs> left and you were supposed to turn right. Mm -hmm. we, we will treat you not as he's called us to treat each other. And I feel like that this one particular story, while it is so powerful in the Holy Week and it does lead us up to Easter, there's a lot to be said here of how we should treat people that calls us to go through 
a quote unquote crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I tell you, I, I can agree. I can attest to what you said. I, I too am and am and have been guilty of of being that Judas and treating those people, blocking them or, or, or whatever. However, you know you do today, not not doing like what Jesus said you should do, mm-hmm. and that that brings out a lot right there. You know, we we love your enemy. Uh, he said, if they take you to court, give them your tunic also. You know, um, that's that's powerful right there. And then we move on, and when we talk about you know the story of of Peter and how that takes place here, we we can look and focus at Judas and what he did. But then we also shift our attention to Peter because we, while we don't want to be the one that's considered a Judas, and and in this instance, we don't want to be the one that's considered Peter, of course, Lord, I would never deny you. Mm -hmm. But you can deny him in so many different ways in your own life and not even realize it. And Mm -hmm. then you walk around with shame and guilt as Peter did. And, And we look at how, why are these included in the Holy Week? Because they're us. Mm-hmm. He made this Holy Week centered around us. The only reason he went to the cross was for us. The only reason that he decides to go Monday and clean the temple and Tuesday and Wednesday and th- the, all of this entire story is us. And we can pull out moments of Judas and we can pull out moments of Peter and just in our in our doing that, we need to remember that the reason he went to the cross was for us. And how he treats them and responds to them is his heart for us. Stop walking around with your shame and your guilt because you messed up last Wednesday or yesterday or last month. Look at how he treats them anyways and understand that that's him treating you the same way. Mm-hmm. Hang up your shame and your guilt and walk with authority and power and compassion and love, all understanding that you're only able to do that because he went to the cross. Quit taking your fig leaf suit to the dry cleaner. That's right. Hang it up. Retire it. <laughs> so Jesus is new. One of the most powerful parts of this story to me and one that I like to hone in on. And for the sake of time, of course, we could do 14 podcasts on just the story of Easter. But I did just want to brush through some of the highlights. A lot of people associate Easter with the cross. But I believe it starts in the garden. Mm-hmm. It all started in the garden. Way back in Genesis was a garden. And here we have another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. And what we see here is if you go and look up the meaning of Gethsemane, it means oil press. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is praying and being pressed Mm -hmm. in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where he prays because while he knows his call here, it's still heavy. Mm -hmm. It still hurts. It's going to be painful. And so he asks, is there another way? I think that that shows us his human characteristics, Mm -hmm. because while he was all God, he was all human. Mm -hmm. And it shows us that he still asked for another way. And in this particular scene here where we have Jesus praying in the garden, it says that he prayed so much so that his sweat turned to blood. That's a pressurized prayer. In order to get the anointing oil out of an olive, you have to press. Mm -hmm. In order to get the wine out of the grape, you have to press. In order to get what we had to have out of the salvation of Jesus Christ, he had to be pressed. And so when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, it means oil press. And he's in this moment, the first drops of blood were not shed on the cross. They were shed in the garden. Oh, that's good. And it's in the garden that we have to look and see his heart and his, his, uh, his compassion for us, his prayer, and, and the, the sins that we commit started pressing on him in the garden. And it's that moment that we get to see this entire Easter story come to life. That even in the garden, whenever he asked for another way, he still continued. Mm-hmm. He still yeah. pressed forward. He still walked to Calvary carrying the cross. And it was in the garden 
that we see that story start to come to life and we're able to see that pressing take place. And as we move from the garden, we see that he's eventually arrested. I want to say one thing. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I preach preach a lot. You'll realize I preach a lot on potential and identity. Everything that you are supposed to be and who you are supposed to be is already on the inside of you. Mm -hmm. And going back to the Gethsemane, you're talking about a wine press. There's going to be times when we, as believers, that are wanting to fulfill our purpose and wanting to to know who we truly are, there's going to be times when we feel like we're in that same wine press. It's because God is pressing us because he knows, because if you take om, omnipotent, you break it down, you got one or all potential, potent, and he's placed that inside of us because we're created his image. And what he does is he places us, it feels like sometimes when we're placing that wine press, oh, well, Lord, I, this is just too much. I just, there's no way that we can start a church or that we can start a restaurant in a pandemic. There's no way that, that, we can just just start a church in a barber shop and and be moved to a new lo- location in less than ten months. That just that just with our natural ears and eyes, that's impossible. But sometimes you have to get in that wine press in order to fulfill uh-huh. that potential. So I'm just encouraging the listener right here. Is sometimes the pressure may be heavy. The 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 pressure may get may it may, it may begin to squeeze on you. But don't give up because that could just be God in turn pressing you and see and when you think when giving birth to something, the doctor always tells tells the one tells tells the woman giving birth to push, mm-hmm. to, to to push, 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 breathe, breathe, you know how it goes. And that could be God getting you ready. You could be in labor, fixing to give birth to that business fixing to give birth to that new invention or that new idea or whatever it is that God's placed on the inside of you, don't despise the pressing. Yeah, mm-hmm. right until something happens. Yeah, That's and right. you think about, you know, we talked about the garden and how you went back to Genesis. When you think of a garden, you think of growth. Mm-hmm. Like, and so each time you see garden within the word, some, there's growth That's happening true. at some part each time that don't garden is Don't despise the pressing. I love whenever we look here at this moment, we have one more time that Jesus shows us how to treat a Mm -hmm. Judas. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Judas used his intimate relationship with Christ Mm -hmm. against him. Not everybody could just walk up and kiss Mm -hmm. Jesus. Only if you know him on that intimate level. He said that that one is the one that you seize. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And in verse 50, oh, good Lord, this, Mm -hmm. this is good. He says, but Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, friend. why have you come? He still called him friend. He still called him friend. And he knew why. And that's so good that even at your lowest point in your life, he still calls you friend. Wow. So we've made our way all the way up to Good Friday. And we know what happens on Good Friday. We know that Good Friday is whenever they take Jesus and they nail him to this cross. And he's crucified and the excruciating pain that he goes through and this scene that we can't really even comprehend. So why is it called Good Friday? Well, I I believe that it was uh, bad for him, but it was good for us. Mm. It was a really, in him, it was, it was, I, I don't think that it was his worst day ever because his worst, I, I believe personally that his worst day has not come yet. But I believe that it was a good day for us because that 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 wall of separation, like I preached this morning, that 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 bordered wall of of Azka had been torn down, and the curse had, is now being obliterated by 
the act that Jesus is doing. I believe it was a bad day for Jesus, but I don't believe it was his worst day. And I won't elaborate on that unless you want to. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I believe that, that his worst day is yet to come, and that'll be in heaven whenever he has to send the ones that he loved the most that did not believe that he really died on the cross to redeem them. Mm. I believe that'll be his worst day. I believe that 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 the Good Friday was was very bad. I mean, it, it's not, what can be worse than death? It seems like, but I believe the ones that the ones that, as he was hanging on the cross and they deny him, that'll be his worst day when he has to say, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Yeah, and I know that's getting on a whole other topic, but I feel like with that that <clears throat> within itself is not ever talked about because I'm just going to be honest with you, um, this isn't scripted, and so. When we started this conversation, when you said that, my, of course, insides go, hmm, how is that not his worst day? But then when you said what you said, mm -hmm. oh, Lord, I don't know how it could get much worse than what you mentioned there, that the day that the reason that you died could not come to pass for some people. You did not, you, you didn't take the opportunity to understand why he died. Mm -hmm. You denied him ultimately to the end. And ended up in the place that he never really wanted you to go. That is a worse day than Good Friday. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, it's it's kind of contradictory to what we see happen on Good Friday. But I believe that Friday is Good Friday because Sunday comes. Mm -hmm. And there's so many good things that happen on this Good Friday, even though when we read it with our natural eye, it all seems bad. It's like, there's no way this is a good Friday. He's crucified. But it was good yeah. because he did it for us. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that's what the Lord brought to me in Romans eight twenty eight, And in the Passion, it says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. Well, that's mm -hmm. part of our story. Yeah. That what happened on Good Friday leads into our story. Yeah. Here I mean, now. that's my favorite scripture. And I've said that so many times on this podcast, but... All things work together for the good. Well, that's how we can get to Good Friday, because it's all these mm -hmm. things that have worked together through his life that makes this Friday good. And I believe that there's a better Sunday. Mm -hmm. So there's a Good Friday. There's a silent Saturday. And then there's a Resurrection Sunday. Mm -hmm. That silent Saturday, that's so important as well. Because in the midst of all this chaos and calamity, in the midst of all of this, the trial and the tribulation, the moving from the garden to the crucifixion, all the chaos of they came with clubs and they were ready and mm -hmm. shouting and hollering, there was a silent Saturday. I believe that sometimes in our lives we need a silent Saturday to mm -hmm. understand a resurrection Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I've been there. I call it my, my walk where I went through the silent season where I almost didn't hear from God, but I still kept pressing through. Mm -hmm. And it was my silent Saturday. I know you and I, Pastor Gavin, have talked about your silent season where you spent your, you know, a year just in study and in prayer. And while it may not have been silent between you and God, it was silent between you and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Silence is important. And it's necessary here in this Easter story to look at how silence plays out to a Resurrection Sunday. I encourage you as the listener, if you're working in a week of chaos and you're working in a day of chaos and you've gone from zero to 100 every single day for the past month and for the past year, take a moment and embrace and embrace a silent Saturday and just see how it plays into your Resurrection Sunday. We as believers don't always have to talk. Mm -mm. I think that's the problem. We get we get a big mouth sometimes, and we wonder why God ain't speaking. Well, sometimes you just put a sock in your mouth and listen, and and have a silent Saturday. He, he'll be able to speak a lot more. Because here's one thing I have learned about hearing the voice of the Lord in anything. He's not he's not going to overtalk all the other voices. Mm -hmm. He wants he's a jealous God. He wants his voice being the only one that you listen to, and the only one that you're obedient to. So sometimes you need to have a silent Saturday and reflect on, on what he's trying to tell you there. Mm -hmm. After that silent Saturday, we see a holy Sunday. We mm -hmm. see a resurrection Sunday. And what happens on this Sunday is life-changing 
for the rest of forever. It's life-changing for us as the individual that we don't have to walk through life anymore covered with our sin and drenched in our shame and carrying our guilt, that he died for all of that. And as believers, that's what sets us apart in Christianity from any other belief in the entire world is that he didn't stay in the grave. He got up. He's woke. Jesus is woke. Woke. (laughs) (laughs) And when we embrace that, we could go on and on and on about all of the the stories here within this Easter story. And I do want to be able to to do that as we continue on through the podcast of, of, you know, future episodes. But I want to really take a moment and encourage you as the listener, if you've never thought of Easter as being something for the rest of your life that you can celebrate every single day. It is. He's no longer in the tomb. He got up. He took death, hell, and the grave. He conquered that giant of death. He conquered that giant of sin. He is the one that makes you righteous. You cannot make yourself righteous. You are not able to do that. It's him that does it for you because he made the decision to call you friend. He made the decision to wash your feet. He made the decision to let you eat too. He made the decision to die for you and to be your savior forever and ever and ever. And and in closing of this podcast, bringing it back full swing. You know, I believe it was God's intention for us to live forever with him, mainly being because you had those that lived for 900 years, 800 years. It was his intention for us to live forever. And the reason that we we did this podcast about Easter is showing because of what Jesus Christ done, we can live Easter every day. We have, he, the moment that we believe on him, we have the opportunity to walk out of that grave and never, ever, ever have to return to it ever again. We will be set free forever. And But here's here's one thing about it that we know, that if we if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back, that we will have to endure one day. And I believe that if you want it, you can live 120 years, according to Genesis 6-3 but that we will have to experience a natural death if the rapture does not take place. But here is the gospel. Here is the good news that the moment that you believe on Jesus Christ, take the thief on the cross, for example. He wasn't religious. He had never been baptized. He had never been to a church social. He had never been to a a, a connect class or anything like that. And yet Jesus looked at him on the cross. Speaking of Easter and Good Friday, he looked at him on the cross if you would just believe on me, you will be, he, he said, the, the, all the thief said was, remember me, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the one good hope and the gospel truth that we have is that if you just believe on Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Romans 10 and 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that word confess means to agree. If you confess or agree with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I want to give you this, this opportunity right here to, if you have never done so, if you feel like that you have you have you have backslidden if you if you feel like you want to rededicate your life however you want to say it. but if you've never accepted or believed on the Lord Jesus Christ we want to take this moment on this podcast to give you the opportunity you see religion has made it real hard it's made it a, a, a real hoop to jump through but receiving Jesus Christ is very simple so if you're listening to this podcast I want you to just simply say God I thank you 
Lord, I believe that you sent your only begotten son to die for me on a cross. And he died for me, but he not only died for me to redeem me from sin, but he also rose for me. And because he rose, I can rise too. And Lord Jesus, I believe you and I ask you to be my savior. I believe with you with my whole heart and I do not doubt. And I thank you for saving me. And it is in Jesus' name I pray and believe. Thank you, Father. Amen. It's just as simple as that right there. If you say that prayer, if you believe that, that Jesus Christ has saved you, you will have life once you leave this earth right here. We're so glad that you made the decision to join the Coenology podcast this week. Gabby and I have really enjoyed this opportunity and absolutely love our friends and the work they are doing through this ministry journey. Don't forget to visit the Coenology website at coenology.podbean.com and take a moment to follow them on Facebook. Most importantly, share this with someone this week. We hope you have a blessed week.